morning. If you don't know me, my name's Stuart, and I'm nearly retired. <laughs> I've got a term and uh, four weeks, I think, before I retire. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, year 10 boys at the moment, every time I'm on playground duty, walk behind me singing Christian songs, so <laughs> I think it's time to go. <laughs> Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for the words we heard about being compassionate. And as we think about our own selves today, we pray that we might put off those things that hold us back from being compassionate, those things that take us back to the old way we used to live, and to put on the new. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. His name was Jerry, and he drove a bulldozer. I don't know if you've ever been up to Mudgee, but on the right-hand side as you go to Mudgee, you'll see some very large hills uh, that have been cleared. Jerry probably cleared those hills. Uh, it was a very dangerous job, but Jerry was a dangerous sort of guy. I first met him at Beach Mission in the 1970s. Uh, pretty wild times then, up on the coast of northern New South Wales. Uh, kids with sunburned faces and skin sort of peeling off. Everybody had that peroxide blonde hair. It was a time of panel vans and uh, sex and beer. I was working with the teenagers in a teenage tent at night and it was an open tent and groups would come in and uh, often they'd want to talk and then sometimes argue and sometimes get fairly heated in their discussions. When things got hot, we asked Jerry to join us. Jerry looked a little bit like this. <laughs> That's not Jerry, I couldn't get a photo of him, but he looked a little bit like that. Uh, he was large, he was bald, he was tattooed, he was muscular and very scary to look at. A bit like Angry Anderson on steroids. Jerry would stand at the back of the tent and fold his arms. The things usually quietened down after that. His presence said, don't even think about getting abusive or violent in here. His presence, however, was very different to the reality of the man. Because when you spoke to him, he was gentle soft, not violent, not aggressive. But it hadn't always been like that. Jerry had spent a lot of time in jail. He was in and out of jail for things like fraud and uh, robbery, um, receiving stolen goods, assault. He was well known to the police in the area where he lived. He once told me that his favourite weapon was a Liverpool Rattler, which was a billiard ball inside a football sock. You can imagine the damage that that would do. Last time Jerry went to prison, he came out a different person. He looked the same, and in many ways he acted the same, but he was a Christian. He'd been saved by grace, forgiven and set free. The prison chaplain had given him a Bible, and Jerry had read it during his time in prison and made a commitment to follow Jesus. Was he a new person? Well, yes and no. He was saved by grace. He was treated by God as a forgiven sinner, but no in the sense that he needed to become the person that God wanted him to be. And he began that process by no longer physically abusing his wife and his daughter. He stopped drinking in excess. He stopped cheating and stealing. He tried to cut back on his swearing. And he worked on curbing his temper. It was as though when he took off his prison clothes, he also put off his old life. He discarded the old habits and he developed new ones. Jerry was aided by a remarkable group of Christians in the Mudgee area. They were all primary school teachers and they met with him and they nurtured him 
and they encouraged him to share his faith, which Jerry did so. But the problem was the only friends he really had were those who had been in jail with him. And so he often asked his uh, old jail mates to come up and see him. Uh, the police got whiff of this and they surrounded his shack one day and asked him to come out with his hands up. I, I assume it's the only time the police have actually raided a Bible study, but that's what happened. <laughs> In the passage this morning we're looking at, Paul speaks about the new life we need to have uh, for those who have been saved by God's grace. He shows us what we were like and what we need to be like. And so the big idea today is, in Christ I am a new person. Well, let's begin with the old you. Let's have a look at these verses. And you can follow them in your Bible, or if you um, want to look at the screen, you can see it there. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of your thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Well, who are the Gentiles? We've seen that before anyone who's not a Jew back in this time. Uh, this new congregation was made up mainly of Gentiles, and so Paul is speaking to them. Uh, back before they became Christians, they didn't know God, they didn't care for him. They didn't obey him. They weren't in a relationship with him. And Paul says, well, that's changed. You can no longer live like that. You can't walk the same way. Uh, it's very repetitious, isn't it, in, in, in uh, Ephesians? We've seen the same sort of thing in Ephesians 2, where Paul says, this is the way you were, now you've changed. Now he's sort of developing that theme. Uh, in the first three chapters, he talks about a lot about what Jesus has done. And now in these chapters, he says, well... If that's happened, this is the way you need to walk now. You need to walk with a new stride. You need to walk in a different direction. And that walk, he says, begins with the mind. Think the mind needs to begin a walk? Well, in my case, it does. I went for a walk last night. My mind was saying, it's too cold. Don't go. Stay here. But I knew it would be beneficial. So my mind won in the end, the good part of my mind anyway. And uh, I went for that walk. But before I was a Christian, I wasn't connected to God. Uh, my thinking, like yours, if you weren't a Christian, uh, was that it was futile. I'm not saying that uh, you were stupid or ignorant. I'm just saying you viewed the world in a different way than the way God sees it. You or someone else was the centre of your universe before you were a Christian. Paul also says you were darkened in your understanding. You thought you were right, but when you became a Christian, you realised, hey, I was wrong. You thought what you did would bring light and then when you became a Christian you thought, hey, actually that only brought darkness into my life and despair. You thought it was okay but it wasn't. In the light of what God has now showed you, your whole view of reality was corrupt. If that wasn't enough, Paul tells us that we were alienated and ignorant. Uh, we were separated from the life of God because of our ignorance. We cut ourselves off from the source of light and light and truth. We didn't know Jesus as God. We didn't know about his death for us. We didn't know about the resurrection. We didn't know about hell. We didn't know salvation was a gift. We were blind to all these things. And Paul says we were hard-hearted. We weren't merely victims who lacked information. 
Some of us chose to stand up to God and say, hey, I'm right, you're wrong. I don't like what's written in your word. In fact, it needs editing. I like this bit, but I don't like this bit. Cut it out. We may have even been angry with God. We mightn't have believed him. We still blamed him for things that went wrong. And so through this whole process, we became calloused. Ask a guitar player what a callous is. You know, overuse a certain part of your hand and your body and calluses form and after a while you don't uh, feel uh, the things that hurt before. What hurt doesn't hurt. What I used to feel guilty about now, I don't care anymore. I'm callous to that. We lose our sensitivity and we give ourselves over to indulgences. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 1 for a minute, Paul outlines the same sort of thing there. In Romans chapter 1, and uh, let's have a look at uh, verse 21. Uh, Paul writes this, For although they knew God, he's talking about uh, Gentiles in particular, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. He's saying the same thing, isn't he? But then he goes on, look at the beginning of the next couple of paragraphs. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires. Verse 24. Verse 26, because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. God gives us over to what we want. You can't say that God isn't just. If we want to ignore God, then God gives us over to that ignorance and that callousness and that loss of sensitivity. But Paul says, that's not the way it was with you. Here's another one of those big buts, but we've got a however instead. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in the righteousness and holiness. When God entered our lives, everything changed. We live in a world that wants change all the time, doesn't it? Uh, we hear about self-help and self-improvement and self-esteem and there are books to read and DVDs to watch and shows to watch on TV and diets to use. We can change the things we do, but Paul's saying here, Jesus is the only one who can change who we really are. He's the one who can get inside of us and make those radical changes that we need to make. And once he changes the things that you do, uh, you're never the same. Have a look at verses 21 to 24 in particular. See what he says about the changes that need to take place there? Putting off the old and putting on the new. Change your clothes, he says. Put off those practices that belong to the old way of thinking. That bundle of clothes with, with those practices, those old emotions, those old attitudes, those old actions, put them off. That's who I was before, before I was called out of darkness. Now I'm a new person. Put on a new bundle of attitudes and emotions and practices. Jesus spoke a parable once, and it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel, about a king who invited uh, 
all these people, these wedding guests, to a wedding for his son. And when the servants went out, all the wedding guests were busy. They didn't want to come. And so the king says, okay, go out to the highways and the byways and, and bring in the people that uh, weren't invited. And, and, of course, they came in. But in Matthew's version of the parable, it's got a very interesting ending. Let me show it to you. It says this. When the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man who was there was not wearing the wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, this man was in, but he didn't change, so he was out. I think there's going to be quite a few shocked churchgoers on that day of judgment when Jesus looks at them and they've responded to the invitation but there was no change of heart or action. When God said, change your clothes, they tucked their shirt in or hitched up their dress. They didn't strip away the old attitudes of the love of money and racism and stealing from work. As I said before, this is not a sort of a moral self-improvement course. This is not, you're saved by grace, now lift your game. Uh, it's, not, it's about allowing God to create the new person in you. And that, that's a tough ask. In verse 22, you, you see um, the old person. Oh, let's go back a bit. Verse 22, you see the old person uh, was corrupted by deceitful desires. The world says, as we see on the ads on TV, follow your heart. But they're just deceitful desires. Deceitful because they lie to us. Let me give you an example. Uh, I, don't, I don't know uh, you that well, but some of you may struggle with alcohol consumption. Nothing wrong with alcohol. It's one of those gifts from God. But the desire says drink, it may help you relax. Drink, it'll take the edge off. Drink, it'll help you forget. It'll put you in a good mood. Just like the people behind me last night. They seem to be in a very good mood at three o'clock in the morning. But the desires are deceitful. And the bottle never delivers a promise. That's why in the next chapter Paul says, don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Because being filled with the Spirit will meet your deepest desires. Only God can meet the desires of our souls. And only God delivers on his promises. In verse 24, he says, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's your new identity. The Bible uses language like born again, regeneration, new creation, new person, new life, new self, new you. For some in the Bible, the change is so radical, they actually change their names. Abram becomes Abraham. Cephas becomes Peter. Saul becomes Paul. I knew a bloke once, his name was uh, Tim. He changed his name to Timothy. I said, why did you change your name? He said, look, I became a Christian. I just wanted to, to, to somehow communicate that to people, that I'm a new person. And that change, you see, starts in verse 23. It changed with being made in, uh, newly in the attitude of our minds. The original language here indicates an ongoing renewal. It's not just a one-off thing. Uh, we are constantly to work at this because if we don't, they can be relationship-destroying traits. They can tear a church apart. Have a look in your Bibles at um, verses 25 to 32. I haven't got it up on the screen, but you might like to have a look there. 
Have a glance. Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Anything catch your attention? Anything you're struggling with at the moment? Well, let's, un- let's unpack what Paul's saying here and, and look at them in a bit of detail. Paul says, put off falsehood. Don't lie. Speak the truth. Don't lie to each other. If we're commanded to love our neighbour, how can we lie to them? Falsehood is a specific characteristic of the old nature. It's caused by Satan's deceit about what is truly good for us. It should be stripped off with the old nature in all our relationships, especially those within the church. Part of the renewing of our mind is to be filled with Satan-fighting truth where we are real and honest and genuine with each other. If Satan's going to get a foothold in our church, when we lie to each other, And we don't want that to happen. Secondly, Paul says, don't lose your temper. Make sure your anger is just. Make sure your anger is free from injured pride or revenge. When that party was still going at three o'clock in the morning, I was thinking of revenge and I thought about the sermon I had to preach today. (sighs) Don't feed your anger. I went to sleep. Don't build on it day after day. Of course, In the face of blatant evil, being dignant, not tolerant. Uh, Be angry, not apathetic. If God hates sin, then his people should hate sin. But don't let rage be a characteristic of your life anymore. That's part of the old self. Get rid of it. Uh, Don't steal. Rather, work and give. Stealing is part of the old self. It comes from being deceived about what's really desirable. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden again. Um, I guess we always go back to Adam and Eve. They're, they're sort of the, the, the portrait of, of what went wrong. They were deceived by Satan. Satan said, I've got something better for you than a relationship with God. And they fell for it. But remember Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. Satan tries the same thing. He says, don't take the root of self-denial. Use your powers to get what you want the easiest way. Satan wants us to believe that the fleeting pleasure of possession far outweighs a hard day's work and a clear conscience and a love for others. Unbelief in the promises of God is the basis for stealing. It's part of the old nature. Get rid of it. Don't steal from the government. Don't steal from your employer. Don't steal from your neighbour or your family and don't steal from the church. Earn your living so that you can then use that uh, money to help others. Watch what you say. Don't use your mouth for evil but for good. Speech is a wonderful gift from God. Uh, It separates us from all other animals. It reflects our likeness to God. And so any unwholesome talk that comes out of our mouth like lies and slander and crudities... Get rid of. Use the gift of speech to build others up. Be imparters of grace. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who's building and binding a church by tearing it down by gossiping and slandering about others in the church community. 
Don't be unkind and bitter. Rather, be kind and loving. Here, Paul, is six unpleasant attitudes and actions which we need to get rid of entirely. Bitterness. You know that negative, cynical outlook on life that some people have? It's really easy to fall into that. Though some of the kids at school have got this. Everything is cynical. Nothing is taken seriously. And it's a sad, sad way of, of life. And we need to get rid of that. Get rid of passionate rage. That rage that boils up in us and spills out all the time. Get rid of sullen hostility. That rage that's deep inside and we just let it ooze out from time to time. Don't shout and scream at each other. Don't slander each other. Don't destroy people's reputations. Don't be malicious. Don't plot evil against others. These kind of behaviours destroy a Christian community. Well, as I said before, which ones do you need to work on? Which part of the old nature are you still clinging to? Pray that God would deliver you this week from those temptations to reclothe you back in those prison garbs. In their place, welcome the kind of qualities we see in Jesus. Be kind to each other. Be tender-hearted. Forgive and imitate the one who forgave us. Well, let me sum up. Paul says that our former way of life was corrupt, it was decayed, it was selfish, it was restless, it was dead, it was led by deceitful desires, uh, and in the variety of situations in which we found ourselves, we continued to do the wrong thing. Recognising that our minds have been cleared by the Holy Spirit is a first step to living the new life. The second step, after we put off the old, is to put on the new. There's wonderful possibilities of new life in Jesus. Put on a new attitude of your minds. Christians have the possibility, I think Christians have the only one, have the possibility of being someone entirely different. Jerry changed completely. I didn't know Jerry before, but I certainly knew him afterwards. And from the stories that I was told about what he used to be like, he had changed completely. Live a different lifestyle. Let the Holy Spirit work a work of regeneration in you and change you to become more and more like God's Son. The new self is a likeness of God. It's the life of God. It's the image of Jesus. It's a life lived in you. Are you just tucking in your shirt or are you replacing the old for the new? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. It's pretty hard because sometimes it just tears away at our flesh and uh, we suddenly realise who we are before you and the things we're doing. Please help us by the power of your spirit to change in those areas where we continue to dive back into the old self. Please renew us. Please keep on doing this. And by the power of your spirit, help us to conquer those areas where we always are deceived by Satan. We pray this in Jesus' name.